Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 439 on Tuesday, the 23rd of November, 2021. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we're wondering yet again if Dieselgate will ever go away. No. We hear there was something going on at Monza that involved a goat. And we're getting out our magnifying glass for one four-stroke engine. But first, let us get this pesky diesel gatey stuff out the way and i'll start because there's more than one yay and this is to do with one of the investor cases that we've mentioned previously where investors are suing the vw group over the fact that they didn't declare that there was an issue with their engines and that this would then cause a problem with regulators which would then go on to affect the share prices Mm-hmm. The investors are saying that they are owed back from 2008. Really? When the engine was first uh, manipulated. But the judge has ruled on this because Volkswagen is saying they fully, they've fulfilled all their obligations and therefore there's no compensation claims, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, what the judge has ruled is that between 2008 and 2012 – the investors have to prove that the board or members of the board stroke company deliberately withheld that information. However, from 2012, Volkswagen have to prove that their board not telling investors about this problem was neither Mm. grossly negligent nor deliberate. So there's two parts to this. that's tricky. I can see part one being very difficult for the investors. And part two being very difficult for Volkswagen. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's mm, going so to be a partial is... win is how I, I'm i predicting. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's going to be an, it's going to be interesting how that plays out. But, but both parties have until the end of January to comment on that preliminary conclusion and to provide evidence to that. Yep. To that accord, I guess is the term. Mm-hmm. Although it's not a Honda. <laughs> Second little piece of Dieselgate follow-up. Now, in a lot of these, when we've been discussing Dieselgate, we've talked about Robert Bosch, uh, as in the company, not not the person, and how they have been implicated quite heavily. Well, Continental, who we always think of as tyres, but who actually provide quite a lot of of sort of other tier one things, including engine management systems. Their CFO was dismissed in very short order during the week just there, and their ex-CEO as well. And they're now both being investigated by German prosecutors. Mm. So former CEO is Elmar Degenhardt, and the finance chief is, is Wolfgang Schaefer. Um, as I say, Schaefer only left the company the company pretty much with immediate effect uh, on on wednesday the focus of the investigations is uh, suspected accessory to fraud breach of trust and failure to fulfill supervisory duties and this is all about uh the powertrain unit that was was supplied by them to volkswagen and this is about the 1.6 litre volkswagen diesel engine that breached emissions limits and masked excessive pollution the two-liter engine, which has really formed most of Dieselgate scandal, is the one that came from Bosch. Mm. It does further underline the silliness of the the original tactic from mm-hmm. the communications from Volkswagen that it was a rogue engineer. 
Oh, yeah. I think everybody's forgotten that argument many years ago. But yes, they, that was what they said. It was a rogue engineer. But that's two, di- that's two different suppliers. You, you say that, but uh, I was dragged into in front of the telly the other day because there was a very professional, almost documentary-style advert from one of the ambulance chasers in the UK. All right. About Dieselgate. It was a really impressive advert very professionally put together it was not the on youtube someone standing in front of a green screen that we unluckily get this was a lot of um footage and a lot of explanation with proper gravitas in the the voiceover and then you get to the end and it's if you've had one of these cars and by the way there's 20 other manufacturers who are being looked at so get in touch with us and Mm. that was an incredibly powerful tv ad it really was. And you know, everybody who listens to the show knows mine and your feelings on these ambulance chasing mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, lawyers. So, and- <laughs> <laughs> that I've just drowned out what you said. <laughs> Cut it for the end. <laughs> but yeah, they are upping their game when it comes to trying to get more people involved in these class actions. But anyway, mm-hmm. I'm going to take us to the first of the new news. This week, and, and the first thought is: the first thought is, how is this new news? I know that's what's surprising about it. Yes, it is new news, uh, and that is that uh, which you probably heard uh, something about on on social medias and stuff, but that UK drivers will be banned from using their phone as in a handheld manner, which currently is not banned, filming hmm. or searching playlists. Yes. Or playing games. So it's closing the loophole. You're bizarrely you're allowed to play games. Yes. As long as you're not driving in a dangerous manner. Mm-hmm. Yes. There is something which will be permitted, though, which theoretically isn't permitted at the minute. And that's the ability to make a contactless payment using your mobile phone while stationary. So in other words, if you need to uh, use... Apple or Android or whatever pay to pay the uh, to pay the M six M six toll or your Mackie D's, then you'll you will be allowed to do that because right at the minute you're not actually allowed to do that. No, that is true. Strictly speaking, despite the fact that that is actually often easier, quicker, and safer than sort of trying to find your wallet, get your wallet out your pocket, prize the appropriate kit credit or debit card out of your wallet, and then find the window switch. So they're going to they're going to update the highway code which is going to make it clear about that you can't even use handheld devices when you're stopped in traffic lights or in motorway queues but you will be able to prod your device if it is in a cradle mm-hmm. which must be the only reason that you are allowed to or they've allowed that because people quite rightly pointed out on social media but I can prod the touchscreen on my car whilst taking my eyes off the road, which we all know you have to do to be able to see what you're doing. Yeah. But the the thing that got me was that uh, a lot of academics who are involved with sort of like the cognitive loads on humans, uh, particularly looking at phone use and safety, pointed out, even if it's hands-free, and we've talked about this before, but even if it's hands-free, you are still mentally impaired Compared to not using the phone, it's it, it, to levels that are similar to drink driving. Mm-hmm. That if you are using your phone, if you are making a phone call, even if it's hands-free, 
that there is impairment to your to your ability to react to situations uh, and do the job that you should be doing, which is concentrating on the road. Yes. Do you want to take us to the... Uh, well, what was started out as a let's ban cars from certain areas yeah. of the countryside. <laughs> yes, the Lake District and the Peak District and national parks have denied that they are planning to ban cars. Reports previously had said that both of those national parks were looking into closing down tourist hotspots to cars uh, during the summer and at peak times. These originally came from places such as the guardian who originally said that yeah busiest parts of the lake district uh, would see private cars banned during the busiest periods of the year to combat congestion it's a tricky one for those national parks because obviously more people holidaying in the uk over the Mm -hmm. last couple of years Um, and when people holiday in the uk they want to go to nice places obviously. And the Lake District and the Peak District are both very nice places. But the sheer number of people, the sheer number of vehicles, because of course people have been trying not to use public transport, have been making life rather difficult. Just literally local congestion and traffic jams forming in smaller villages and towns. Yeah, But at the same time, they are... uh, certainly the lake district they are decli- they are not going to build new car parks so applications planning applications for two were rejected because they didn't want to start setting a precedent for the whole of the lake district to basically make it a series of car parks joined together by traffic jams because mm. that the interesting thing through reading this article that's in autocar is that it's how much power the national parks actually have mm. in a local area um, what they can control that can and cannot be done, which is which is one thing. If if you've never lived in a national park, then it is an eye opener. But the other thing that I was really interested in reading, yeah. which didn't come across from the other spokespeople from uh, the Lake District and the Peak District, but um, talking to the uh, representative or head of visitor services, Kenny Old from uh, Loch Lomond. He was talking about that said, at the moment, it's very unfair for us to criticise any car drivers enjoying the National Park because we don't have a system that provides many choices. They have a particularly tricky time at Loch Lomond because there is only really one road, Mm. the A82, up the side of the loch. And that is the road. Yeah. That's the road everyone has to use. And there are no alternative, no reasonable alternatives. Yeah, but it goes on to further to say that we're working hard to quickly catch up and create a system that gives people choice and that's inclusive, affordable, and keeps – and this is the important bit for me – and keeps people connected to the landscape. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the thing. We want – we there's so many programs and so much drive to get people out into nature and enjoy the beautiful countryside we've got. Mm-hmm. But it's how to manage that, how to, how to allow people to do it, yet not – ruin the place and make it horrific the very act of going there on yourself is you ruining it a little bit more yes you know and and that sounds terrible and someone's probably going to complain about me saying that but it's the truth really, no but there, there is there is kind of there are consequences to us going to all the countrysides is we do hmm. leave an impact of some shape or form yes on which deep deep note yes yeah. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take us to uh, portsmouth 
It's this is because I don't feel you have to. Well, yeah, only because they are implementing a clean air zone, and I'd missed they were implementing a clean air zone. As had I. Because one, I don't travel to Portsmouth, but two, it, there's been more higher profile. Obviously, London is the uh, the poster child for inconveniencing people <laughs> for charging taxes. <laughs> But there's also Bath and Birmingham, which we've talked through. We know Bristol are going to be doing something, but there's uh, and we know there's plans for Greater Manchester. And reading this Yes Auto article, there is plans for Bradford as well. But what's happening in Portsmouth is that their clean air zone will begin on November the 29th. Now this mm-hmm. is a uh, clean air zone B, I think. Yes, Class B. I'd also not come ac- not come across classifications of clean air zone. Yeah, because Bath is... How, how have we missed all of this? Uh, uh, a Class B. Because mm-hmm. with a Class B, it means private vehicles are not charged at the moment. So uh, what invariably means is most traffic doesn't have to pay then. But it is applied to heavy goods vehicles, buses, coaches, taxis, and private hire vehicles that do not meet Euro 6 emission standards for diesel or Euro 4 for petrol. What that actually means is the vast majority of vehicles don't have to pay. Yes. Let, let's be completely honest about that. The vast majority of vehicles are going to be just fine. But in this instance also, the local council are putting an, an exemption for the first six months on wheelchair accessible taxis and private hire vehicles, allowing them to go through the process with the uh, with the council to get funding to upgrade mm-hmm. to a more yep. suitable vehicle. And even stinky old horse transporters, which are classified as HGVs, which tend to be some of the worst vehicles on the road, but there aren't that many of them around, depending on time of year. They're exempt for up to 10 trips a year to give horse owners on the Isle of Wight access to specialist care. Yep. I don't know if that's for them or for the horse. I'll assume it's for the horse. Uh, also uh, in this is the zone is not that huge. It's not all of Portsmouth no. or anything. But uh, it's obviously a part that does have a lot of congestion because it's coming off the M275. It's everywhere is congested down there. Well, yes. It, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's the same problem as Loch Lomond. There's one road. Yeah. You know. yeah. So uh, if you weren't aware and you travel to Portsmouth, just bear that in mind and um, just keep an eye out for it. <laughs> right. Do you want to take us to a company that may help people who are transporting goods in and out of Portsmouth, Alan? Volta Trucks has begun production of its all-electric Volta Zero in Coventry. Uh, They are intended for inner-city logistics to reduce the environmental impact, uh, immediate environmental impact, he says, making sure the caveat's in there, (laughs) uh, of freight deliveries in city centres. And the idea is that it's got a pure electric range of 150 to 200 kilometres, which is fairly decent. Mm Mm-hmm. It also looks quite cool. It does. I, I do like the Volta. Yeah, it's it's ultra cab forward, very low cab, glass pretty much down to the ground, so that you you actually have have as much visibility as possible. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it just looks like it's made the the, the particular picture that's on the um, Auto Car Professional article. It uh, just looks like it's designed to be a recycled lorry or something. I can't work out if that's a rendering or not. I think it is. Mm. But it'll be cool to see an actual real one at some point, I guess. Yes, it will. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's another company to go visit, though, for us, mm-hmm. I feel. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Speaking of other interesting companies and electrification, Morgan, Andrew. Yeah, well, they are being very upfront that their future model development is going to be focusing on electrification. So they have appointed a new uh, electrification boss called Matthew Hull, who comes from companies such as Drive System Design and Anatov, SAIC, Airbus and Romax. So he's got a lot of... uh, a lot of industry knowledge and expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is going to be in, responsible for all engineering and design functions of the business. Yes. Yeah, and that's because the previous uh, CTO, uh, Graham Chapman, is now Chief Operations Officer. Yep. So it's, it's not a new role, and the previous incumbent hasn't left the company. So, so yeah, that that's going to be interesting, I think, over the next little while. Yeah, because they've they've obviously gone all in on their aluminium architecture instead mm-hmm. of the steel that they've been using for ages, uh, and that seems to have been playing dividends with when you read people's reviews of the cars. It hasn't changed the um, the feeling of the cars, but has mm-hmm. obviously helped the uh, Morgan, the company, move forward and make them lighter and yeah. things. So they've still got the essence of Morgan in them, um, oh. but. It's going to be interesting to see how they, how electrification, is brought into the Morgan brand, mm-hmm. because well, for, try, for the fact that before. for this is supposed to be this very traditional company, but they do do some stuff a lot under the skin that you don't notice. It's not just a lot under the skin. If you think of some of the the, the arrows and some mm. of the more outlandish vehicles there, and then there was the fantastic three-wheeler electric three-wheeler which i can't remember the Mm. exact name of that they showed at geneva for a while and then they just at the time they just couldn't make it work yeah Uh, and so they had to pull the i was gonna say pull the plug i'm sorry that was unintentional uh on it Uh, then uh so you know i keep hoping that that's going to be revived because i thought that was so awesome yeah um it did look great and so more of that more of that kind of thing so there's a weird thing with Morgan is everybody think goes ooh ooh uh, wooden wooden framed mm. cars and that really isn't the case they are incredibly traditional looking obviously but then they go off and they do crazy stuff and somehow they can that's yeah. brilliant thing about the brand is that they can they can have something that's Corella de Deville at one end of 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 the here's a cool idea range and they can also have the that sort of off-roading um overlanding Morgan that was a the, the the other end so yeah. brilliant but imagine you know like the the likes of a plus four that's electric you've got the roof down and you're just you're cruising through the countryside you can hear the sparrows farting exactly exactly that wasn't my first thought but yes you're right <laughs> oh, right taking us away from the countryside do you want to take us along the motorways uh, not desperately, but I will do because that's the dedication that I show. There's a story on electrifying.com uh, by Ginny Buckley, and it's pointing out that motorway services are set to open up for new charging operators from 2026. So GridServe, who took over the electric highway from Ecotricity, has obviously exclusivity at pretty much the entirety of the UK motorway network and motorway service areas. Mm-hmm. The what is going to happen is that Gridserve has offered assurances 
to say that the now I'm trying to make sure I get this right that it will not ex enforce exclusive rights in contracts with extra moto or road chef after 2026. So yep. from 2026 onwards, there is the chance of more than one open to all electric charging provider at motorway service station service areas, and I'm I'm being super cagey there because of course tesla has uh tesla has superchargers as well but that's kind of looped in with the ecotricity deal i believe all oh, right okay the the deal as brokered by uh, ecotricity and the electric highway originally so all those arrangements by the way were there before gridserve took over the yeah. electric highway yeah. so yeah let's see what's happening there i mean that's it's it's just saying look we're not going to insist on remaining exclusive and we're going to op open it up a bit. Gridserve, certainly the one thing I noticed over the last week or so was that the general opinion of motorway service EV charging has become much, much better yes. since Gridserve took over Ecotricity, uh, took over the electric highway. Yeah. Because I mentioned it at the weekend, and I I got quite a few from people I I respect saying actually you should give it another shot. Mm. It just happened in the end that I didn't need to use one of their charges. I ran out of time before the car got taken away today. I ran out of places to drive to, and <laughs> it happened. So yeah, so next time gadget, next time I I shall make my way. The trouble is they've they've got the, that awesome electric forecourt, but it's in deepest, darkest Essex, and I have no reason whatsoever to go there. And it's well off the path of anywhere I, I would be going. Mm. I'd still like to go and have a poke, but we'll we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But interesting stuff. Changes coming. I think they'll be good. I think they'll foster they'll foster competition. Well they foster they foster a bit of goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that too, and I think that that yeah, they've got and, a lot to. That's... Not their fault, but now they've taken over that poison chalice that was that brand. They've been putting a lot of money in and updating a lot of those old chargers. Yeah, I just don't know which ones yet, and I I guess I should get their app and stuff and and find out. But I, I will do that. I think next time there's an EV around here, then I, I might well have to make a small road trip or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Andrew. SMMT has published some some guiding principles, which I think should appeal to you. Yes, they are the guiding principles for marketing automated vehicles. They have got together with the government, with industry, with various stakeholders, as it says in this article, so I'm not doing too much consultancy speak here no he's not he's not being super cagey about any any of this really i mean thatcher all sorts of people yeah they've, they've got together and they have decided to put out the principles which all manufacturers are to follow in the uk so it goes along the lines of that they should be sufficiently clearly described and easy to identify what is an automated system and what is a driver assistance that they do not imply they do anything that they don't, that they are very much clear about what the driver is expected to do in all the circumstances and that sort of stuff. Um, this is all good. I mean, one on one. It, there it, is one other bit in this. In this, in the, 
in, in, even in the SMMT story, there is a notes to editors bit at the beginning, which gives a definition of an automated vehicle or a self-driving vehicle. It repeats that definition at the yep. bottom. So woe betide you, lazier websites, if you don't actually do report this properly. Yes. Sorry. So on the one hand, it's really disappointing this needs to be created marketing they'll do what they can if there's you don't put a boundary but on the other hand the one company that shall we say pushes the boundaries of marketing to extremes is not involved with smmt doesn't give a monkeys about smmt and will do whatever the hell it likes which then still causes us the consumer to be confused and perhaps believe that the vehicle will do something it really cannot do but it gives guidelines for the um they also involve one of the uh, stakeholders they involved actually was the advertising standards authority as well so that Mm. hopefully gives them some power to slap down anyone who contravenes these and goes no you're not allowed to do it i don't care if you're part of the 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 thing or not yeah smmt or not you can't Mm. advertise and say that your vehicle will do such a thing when when it doesn't but yeah, it's the marketing and advertising equivalent of the of some of the safety stuff going on in in the US right at the minute. Yeah, the the good thing is that it's been taken seriously, and uh, they have got together, and everybody has agreed that is involved has agreed this is the way forward. Yes, talking about trying to get agreements, Alan, um, scooters. Yes, e-scooters. So I think most of us now are aware of e-scooter trials around the country, e-scooter rental trials around the country. And we're also slightly aware that there's many, many, there seem to be many private e-scooters around the place. And it seems that around 360,000 were sold in 2020. But private e-scooters are illegal outside of private land. People are calling for private e-scooters to be made legal on, I don't know, roads. Roads, I assume. Roads, pavements. Roads. It should be roads. It'll be the same as with the rental. They're not allowed on pavements. No, unless it is a shared pavement bike. Yeah. Yeah. But all the same, you're still not. They are still illegal. Despite adverts that you might see from even well-known retailers, Mm. motoring-related retailers, they are actually illegal outside of private land and it's been agreed in an interim report by the parliamentary advisory council for transport safety that until there's a greater understanding of the safety implications of allowing their use then they shouldn't be legalized so yeah kind of means right at the minute unlikely that there's going to be e-scooters beyond the rental e-scooter setups that there are don't go buy them. I see Northamptonshire police occasionally posting pictures of ones what they have confiscated for being used on the road or on the pavement or both. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> well, there's there's a few around here that are used. Uh, I know that I've seen them. I've seen somebody going down the main road holding up mm-hmm. the traffic behind <laughs> behind him. 
not with yeah. the, no care in John. But what what it also goes on to say in this uh, Autocar article is that the parliamentary uh, group noted that there was a difference in how people behaved on a rental compared to private, because with mm. a rental that can be much more controlled thanks to the app you need to use to access it and rent it and where you go, the speed you're doing, etc. So you can be tracked in what's happening. So someone's able to come back and later and go that was not acceptable you are now i i don't know if they do this but like you're banned from using our they, service for a month do. or whatever do, it yeah. is yeah they, uh, but they, you can't do. do it with a thing because i've seen uh, a lot of a lot of talk about yes okay do this but there's quite a few caveats one of the caveats that i've seen bandied about a lot is licensing mm-hmm. um is that they are registered i presume with dvla so that if you own it, you have to register it and say, this is mine, so that if something happens and people can go, well, that's yours, you're the owner. But I've also mm-hmm. seen people calling for that with bicycles as well. Yes. And there's some places where you do have to have that. I so, think if there's an assisted bicycle, then you've... Now, which country was that in? It's been so long since I've been anywhere else. Uh, I think it was... Is it Germany? Possibly. Okay. Where you get a little number plate in your bicycle. Oh. If it's an e-bike, yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, I think that's our the the first part. It that is done with. Yes. So that, of course, takes us to Guilt Minute, uh, the quick breaking show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on, the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast worth small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very, very much, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes, thank you everyone who does. Mm-hmm. Right, WRC. And... It was Monza last weekend. Was it Monza or was it near Monza? It was Monza and they went up into the hills like they did last year. They just did a bit more of the, the mountains above oh, cool. than they did uh, this year than they did last year. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it still, it made it really interesting because conditions last year were very different in the mountains. So you really had to, it really was lucky what you were doing. So, But anyway, it was uh, OGA's last full-time rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes part-time from next season, doing a bit of a low. <laughs> and he decided he would finish his uh, his full-time with his eighth championship. A phenomenally close race in between him and El- Evans all the way through. But once they were very close to each other, like they were trading half a second here and there in um, positions through the first two days, unless something catastrophic went wrong with Ogier's car, then... You know, he, as long as he was on the podium, he had the title. Uh, Evans said that it was always a long shot coming into the final one. He'd done everything he could before to get it as close as he could. But in the end, uh, OGA won with Evans 7.1 seconds behind and Hyundai's Danny Sordo rounding out the podium because Nouveau, who was third, had an accident and basically ruined his front aero on the last mm-hmm. day. So he couldn't. He couldn't um, fight as tight as he wanted to. Ob- obviously, congratulations and well done again <laughs> to Ogier and Ingressia. Just a superb team that they've been. Mm. Just he 
he seems completely in control all weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. it, in the show notes, there will be obviously the article about what happened in the rally, but there'll be a Dirtfish video of OGA season, so we can see how you can see how he won. Mm-hmm. Also, there will be the "What We Learned from Monza" article in there. But then there is another great video from Dirtfish, which is the team bosses review the season, which is I. Just go and watch that. It's great video to watch, particularly the ending. <laughs> How it ends is is incredibly uh, incredibly fun and makes me wish that I was working for Hyundai WRC as long as everything was going okay. <laughs> All right, yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, brilliant work. Uh, has he made a mistake staying on doing a bit of a lobe? I don't know. Will it diminish... WRC again. I don't know with the totally different cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got six weeks. Six weeks is that all? And, then, and we got the new cars. Yeah. It's, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, as they say in the video, Christmas has been cancelled. <laughs> I yes, I think there'll be a lot of a lot of work going on at at, at, at in Germany and in Estonia um, to to make sure these are all ready. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Do you want to take us to some uh, new new car news, though? Yes, yes. Uh, and this is, it's a new, old new car. It's a concept, actually. Yep. Uh, but it's, Hyundai is celebrating the 35th anniversary of its grander model, which was never sold here. But it was their sort of first premium car, uh, definitely sold in, in Korea. And they've done it with an electric resto mod. Now, you remember they did one of the Pony a little while ago. Yeah, which was fabulous. Well, well, as is this. <laughs> in that it just looks, I don't know, it looks so modern retro future. So that, and just how clean the, the lines of the original are. Oh, yeah. That they can tidy it up shave it back a bit but not much you still got door handles everyone <laughs> i still got the original style of door handles and it just look fantastic with its pixelated lights it's it's sort of brushed aluminium details it's it's a discish alloy wheels it reminds me a little bit of it looks like it should be in one of the later jerry anderson cartoons so it reminds me of of hudson from terror hawks <laughs> it's that same kind of aesthetic and hudson was a rolls royce obviously and actually a rolls royce under license believe it or not and it's it's that same kind of look and that same kind of slightly chiseled late 70s early 80s uh style and i think it looks brilliant outside and in as well yeah it's so clean it's, it's just lovely Mm-hmm. It's the antidote to a lot of design today. It is that there is not a slash on this thing. No. Very good. We want more of that. And we look forward to Hyundai PR UK bringing it over here for us all to try out. Yeah. Yeah. We can dream on. But in the meantime, here's a, here's a, it's modern equivalent to an extent. Andrew, the new Genesis G70 shooting brake. Yes. So it, marketing has called it a shooting brake. It is in a state with five doors, but it looks fabulous. So it's the it's the G70 saloon that they've put a very attractive... Ah, these Bomb. these things look almost sort of hatchback-y, fastback-y type thing, but they're, they are a state. 
and it just looks great. To me, it's closest in concept to the uh, Lexus IS300 Sport Cross. Mm, Remember yeah. there was the, 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 the estate version of the back. But this is really interesting because this is European-only model. Yes. On a brand which has literally just touched ground in Europe. And that's a big difference from how similar brands in the past, Lexus, Infinity, have approached moving to Europe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only that, but they have taken the car to their um, German base to get it engineered. Mm-hmm and make sure that the handling and the uh, the drivetrain and the control and all the rest of it is up to speed for what is expected in Europe, mm-hmm. um, particularly with something that's going to have, uh, I think it's got the same 3.3-litre V6 engine from the Stinger. Uh, yeah, well, that's, one of, that's one of the, the options, I think. Yeah. Um, um, but which yeah, would be just... rather nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it would be, trust me. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that's interesting. I think Genesis's approach to to Europe is is really very interesting because it's as it it's almost as if they've looked at others and gone, okay, how could we get there more quickly? Mm. And what mistakes did some of those companies make that just that we just want to make sure we avoid. Yeah, there does seem to have been quite a lot of thinking that's gone into hmm. this uh, and not a, well, we hope this works. Yeah, yeah. But but we've said before, Hyundai and Kia don't tend to do anything that they don't know is going to work. Very unusual for them. Yeah, so but, but so to, this is more of that. Yeah, to have, to have a, bit of a bit of a shouty petrol engine, though, Mm-hmm. when they have already made it clear that they are going down the line of electrification is i think is a good move yeah but uh, there's going to be a dedicated there's going to be a dedicated genesis ev model uh, on essentially the same platform yeah. as the ionic 5 and the kia ev6 as well so that that's on its way so there'll be you know Swings and roundabouts, etc. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to say, it's going to start from uh, thirty-five thousand two hundred and fifty in the UK. Sure. Uh, going that, that up seems pretty decent, doesn't it? Yes, I think that will translate quite well into monthlies mm-hmm. for people who are into that sort of thing. The um, the only worry to start with, of course, will be residuals. Yeah, yeah. That, that's always the big worry with a, a new brand like this, or, or yeah. But how they deal with their servicing and all the rest of it will, I think, either make that more concerning for the people who decide residuals or make them relax a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because I know that that was one of the challenges with with the Infinity I had was that the servicing was phenomenally expensive. Hmm. It really was, yeah. Yep. Right, do you want to take us to our lunchtime read? I thought you were going to say, do you want to take us to Corby? It's kind of like I'm already here. <laughs> so this is a story actually from my local newspaper, from the Northamptonshire Telegraph, and it's by Kate Cronin, who's one of the journalists there. And she's she's actually, if you're local to, to me, she's really well worth following on Twitter. She's always quite, in, always interesting. And she doesn't hold back in doing proper local newspaper investigative 
stuff. And and this story is the outcome of one of that, uh, some of that, in that there has been a plan to build a northern orbital road around the top edge of Corby for years. And actually, they built most of it. It's all there about from about 50 metres. Oh, God. And it was built 16 years ago. And nobody has been able to drive it since. There's £10 million worth of public money went into it. And it's practically shut. And it's all linked in to Rockingham Speedway. And the unique and special way it was funded and owned by a number of offshore companies, one after the other, that happened to share the same address in St. Helier in the Channel Islands. Uh, And this is a story about a road that's missing 50 meters that touches on offshore companies, the Panama Papers, absolutely everything about why it's still not finished. I'm going to let you read most read it. It's really interesting. It's about a 10-minute read. But I'm also going to tell you the punchline. The punchline is that this road with 10 million pounds worth of public money in it that is almost there and almost possible to use is now owned by Constellation Group. It's thought. Now I say it's thought because the land registry still isn't updated from when it was from when Rockingham Speedway was sold. Okay. Uh, so Constellation Group, they own Cinch, they own We Buy Any Car, they own British Car Auctions. Uh, okay. Somehow, ten million pounds worth of public money to build a road is now being advertised as their own private uh, dual carriageway access. I'm interested to see where this goes next. Do read the story. It's really interesting about just how Rockingham ended up in the doing what it is, how it got there, and then also about road funding. Mm-hmm. It's just loads of stuff, loads of really motoring podcast stuff in one story, and it's just two miles from me. So, yes, do do have a little bit of a read there, and, of course, support your local papers. Absolutely. Um, yep. do support your local papers because otherwise you don't get stories like this about your area uh, as well nope that's true that's true anyway uh, list of the week now i've stopped pontificating from mm-hmm. list of the week is a watch the list of the week and it is from goodwood road and racing and it is gordon murray's 10 greatest cars according to them now alan as there is only 10 i'm not going to pick one although i have picked mine but i won't say what it is in this list here, is there one that leaps out more to you that screams much more Gordon Murray-ness than any of the others? Yeah, the um, McLaren F1. Okay. I just got, sorry. I could go and I could uh, I could choose something which is more exotic, less unknown. I could choose one of the race cars, but no, the, the F1. Absolutely the F1. It, I just adore it. Mm-hmm. I love that it's one man's vision of how it should be. I love that he's still annoyed that there is a bracket on top of a bracket somewhere under the boot lid. I I love that it doesn't have a radio because he doesn't like listening to the radio. But it does have a bottom-kicking Kenwood multi-disc changer mounted on hydraulic dampers because he does like music. So, yeah, McLaren F1, definitely McLaren F1. Okay, right. You'll click through on the show notes. Uh, 
everyone who's listening and uh, you go through this it really is an excellent um, video it's only 12 minutes long um so think of it as uh, additional uh, additional lunchtime something um but it is great to to be reminded some of the cars some of the particularly the race cars mm-hmm. uh, but there Just are some problems yeah. obviously it's gordon murray there's they're all cracking cars so go through have a look see if you agree or whether you uh disagree with alan on his choice hassle why him not dis- me i don't, I don't why care, would you disagree but... with me i cannot understand why you would disagree with me on any of those on just for choice. the sake of it alan oh well there is that that's the only possible one the only mm. possible reason that means the end finally falls to me this week and it's it's actually another video based one and it's from haggerty and it's by ant ingram and it's a story and the video of a tiny 2.41 cc single cylinder four-stroke engine that a chap called maker b on youtube condensed a thousand hours of work into a 15 minute video making making pretty much all of this this tiny little single cylinder engine from scratch it's wonderful it's fantastic it's incredibly relaxing and cool to watch um if only if you like you know cool lathes and <laughs> lathes and multi-axis milling machines that work at sort of jewelry level it's it can sit in the palm of your hand and it's just it's just a work of art it's beautiful yes, absolutely is yep really cool a little moving sculpture genius i think that's pretty much us for this week isn't it that's uh so the last special edition was the was the Honda HRV. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't listened to that, do go have a little bit of a listen. It, it's it's one of my angrier works, but there's whilst also have have there's it it's a it's an odd one because there's lots of positivity in there, but also the reasons why a car can make me very angry, which doesn't yep. happen that often. So no, so do go do go have a listen to that uh, and and see what you think and tell me I'm an idiot or or whatever. Answer in the comments below, etc. <laughs> Don't forget to like and subscribe, blah blah blah, ring the bell. Uh but that's about it. Anything else, Andrew, that I missed? No, I think that's it. No, cool. Awesome. So, everyone, don't forget to now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts to the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know more about angriness and cars, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you personally? Well, you should listen to one of the other special editions I've done recently about mindfulness in the car. Yep. Uh, because I had to remind myself about that at one point. But other than that, you can get in touch with me via Twitter, where I'm at 8JP Bradley. That's B R A D L E Y. I got carried away myself there. Uh, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear.